0: So this morning we're going to talk a little bit about speaking without judging. And um, we have some props. So we have a a little compact mirror, I've had that for many, many years. Only purpose is to remind me, I'm going to put that in front of me, that I'm actually speaking to myself this morning, so that's going on there, so this is to remind me not to be a hypocrite. Um, We have factor 50, suntan lotion, gosh, you're dead, nine o'clock, ooh, yeah. And we have, in the spirit of Blue Peter, Toberon. No, not Toberon. Chris Fass said that's Toberon as I was walking across the car park. And I went, no, Chris, you're wrong. It's not Toberon. But you will find out what it is later when we do our audience participation. So, good morning. And for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name's Michael. Some people call me Mikey. And we're here to look at uh, Matthew, uh, two passages, uh, verse eight, chapter 18 and then 7. So we're going to start with a question, because questions are always good, good way to get conversation going. So who studied history at school? Who paid attention? Yeah. OK. So uh, prize, uh, no great prize here, but there is a prize. 20th of April, 1653. Chris is not allowed to answer the question, and neither is Sue. 20th of April, 1653. What happened? Oh, come on. Your history teachers would be appalled. You weren't born, okay? You weren't born, okay. Come on, twentieth of April, sixteen fifty-three. Oliver Cromwell. David Emmerton got this straight away when I said Oliver Cromwell. So you know, David obviously paid attention. Oliver Cromwell got fed up with. Yeah, so what happened was Oliver Cromwell, there was, obviously there was civil war in the country, roundheads versus cavaliers, and basically there was the king, parliament, and Oliver Cromwell. Civil war. And basically Cromwell lost patience with parliament. The reforms that had been promised were taking far too long to come through, so he did what he did best. He used his tact and diplomacy, and basically with his troops he went to parliament, And he basically said, I'm gonna throw you lot out. So I'm gonna read his words, okay? They're a little bit strong. Now, if they appear a bit strong now, imagine what they were like on the day, okay? So these are his words, not my words, okay? It is high time for me to put an end to your sitting in this place which you have dishonored by the contempt of all virtue and defiled by your practice of every vice. You are a factious crew, Enemies to all good government, you are a pack of mercenary wretches and like Esau would sell your country for a mess of pottage. That was his introduction, He's only, he hasn't even got going yet, this is, he have not got the good bit. Like Judas, you would betray your God for a few pieces of money. Is there a single virtue remaining among you? Is there one vice that you do not possess? You have no more religion than my horse." He's getting going, isn't he? He's getting in full belt here. Gold has become your God, of which you have not bartered your conscience for a bribe. Is there a man amongst you that has the least bit of care for the good of the commonwealth? You have not defiled this sacred place and turned the Lord's temple into a den of thieves by your immoral practices, your wicked practices. You have grown intolerably odious to the whole nation. Wow, he's getting going. You were sent here by the people to get grievances resolved. And yet you yourselves have now become the greatest grievance. Your country, he was taking this a little bit upon himself, your country therefore calls upon me to clean this stable by putting a final period to your iniquitous proceedings in this house and by which with God's help and the strength he has given me, I am now going to do. And so I command you, upon peril of your lives, depart immediately, get out." I think the Speaker of the House would probably have something to say today if, um, if Boris and the rest of them behave like that. He says, you venal slaves, be gone. Go. Go. In God's name, go. He wasn't hanging around, was he? Now, was he speaking truth? It, well, historians say that actually he had a point. Was he judging? Yes. And he became self-proclaimed protector of the people, he took that upon himself, and ultimately that cost him his life a few years later, as it did the king. So that civil war didn't end well for the country. We're gonna contrast that with 1996, roll forward to South Africa. And if those of you will remember watching this on the telly, Nelson Mandela had recently been released from prison after many, many years, I think 26, 27 years. And there was the famous shot of him walking out the prison with Winnie, his wife, stood beside him, and there was rejoicing and happiness. But he knew there was a lot of pain in the nation that needed resolving. And so one of the first things that President Mandela did was set up what was called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And this model was then used later on in Northern Ireland. Maybe not as effective in Northern Ireland, but certainly in South Africa it was very effective. And he knew that despite the pain that it would involve, it was necessary to try and bring people together and seek reconciliation. And so we had people that worked for the secret police, army officers, those who had been the agents of the state coming face to face with those that they had beaten up, those that they had imprisoned, those that they had tortured and with the families of the bereaved. And some of these hearings are on YouTube, you can see them, and they are excruciatingly painful to watch. But they realized it was the only way that that nation could have any chance of coming together. And some, a little time later, somebody asked uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu, why? Why did he commit to that process? What did he learn from it, however painful it was? What about truth and judgment and forgiveness? Bringing people together, however difficult. And this is what he said. To forgive is not simply altruistic. It is the very best form of self-interest. It's a process that doesn't exclude hatred and anger. These emotions are all part of being human. You should never hate yourself for hating others who have done terrible things to you. The depth of your love is shown by the extent of your anger. However, when I talk of forgiveness, I mean the belief you can come out the other side a better person. A better person than the one who is being consumed by anger and hatred. You see, remaining in that state locks you into a perpetual state of victimhood, making you dependent upon the perpetrator. So the contrast Cromwell, speaking possibly truth and judging with Bishop Desmond Tutu, speaking truth without judging. And he himself had known what it was to be imprisoned as well and had gone through that. Two people, two leaders, speaking in two very different ways, two outcomes. And that brings us to Matthew's Gospel. And we started with chapter 18. And Jesus, as he always did, turned things on their heads. So he started in the very, very beginning of chapter 18 with a child. And we didn't read those verses, but if you look at chapter 18, he starts with a child. And in that culture, children were worthless. They were overlooked, they were often abused, they had no rights. So were women. And we've talked about this before in this church, the role that Jesus, the importance he placed on women and children. Servants. He always started with those that society overlooked and had no place for. Then he moves to a parable. And this is where we do audience participation, which I can say you're looking forward to. And then ends with conflict. And you see, Jesus did the difficult stuff. So, you know, I don't want circumstances and I don't want you to shout out, but just by show of hands, have you ever been offended or hurt by somebody in a church environment? Why? Because the answer is because we're people, we're human, we make mistakes, we're flawed characters. You know, that's who we are. We're an imperfect family, and like every family, we have good and we have bad, we have squabbles, we move over them. And Jesus wanted to talk a little bit about that. So we're going to talk about that in a moment. And you know, when that happens, our natural reaction, even in a work environment, a church environment, is we want to fight back. We want to defend ourselves, our position, our ego, and get even. And what Jesus said was completely radical in that context. He said, no, you go speak to the person and try and resolve that privately. You see, at the time, the Jewish people, they were completely controlled by the Roman Empire. Only Roman citizens had any rights or privileges that were worth anything. And the so-called rights of the Jewish people, such as they were, they were approved and delegated by Pontius Pilate through the Roman army to the Jewish leaders, to the people. So whatever they had was really the scraps. They didn't really have rights. And so the, the notion of reconciliation in that context was crazy. All they understood was powerful. Those who were powerful, those who were weak. Those who had rights, those who had no rights. Those who were Roman and everybody else. Those who were rich, those who were poor. And those who were the perpetrators and those who were the victims. It was black and white. There was no middle ground. And so, who cares against that context if one or two or three or four or five Christians that were believers fell out with each other and then stopped having those relationships. And that's why Jesus gives the parable um, of the sheep. And we're going to talk about that. So, what we're going to do, a bit of participation, on the count of three, I would like you to give me your very best bar as a sheep. And then I'm going to ask a front row here if the second time round when we do bar that you do not bar. Okay, are you up for this? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. So on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Ah! Wonderful. That was that was better than nine o'clock. They were a little bit reserved. Okay. We're we'll trying again without these three. Ready? One, two, three. Ah! Did anybody notice that they were missing? And that's the problem, and that's the point that Jesus made, wasn't it, with the parable? That's exactly the point that Jesus was making, that actually losing one, who cares? Who notices? At what point in a relationship, in breaking down in a church, does it matter? Is it one person? Is it two? Is it three? Do we care if we upset these three? Yeah, we should. We should deeply care. And that's what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, it's not okay even to lose one. You know, we have to look after each other. You know, church leadership is... Anybody that's been in church leadership will know it. It's impossible. It's really hard to do and get it... And, and your know, map makes it look easy. It's not. PCC and the others support him, but it's really, really difficult. And that brings me to the prop. Okay, it is not a tube of torbron so we'll rule that one out. Anybody have any ideas on what this magnificent rendering is? And those who have watched Blue Peter will be inspired because I made this at 9 o'clock this morning. No! Somebody, somebody at nine o'clock said it's a tent, and Holly was here, so she could have fit through it, but apart from that, no, not a tent. A could be a channel, but it isn't. It's a good guess. No. Nope. I'll give you a clue. Lake District. It's a mountain, and it's not just any mountain. This is Helvellyn. And, see, active participation. Anybody ever been up Helvellyn? Yep. It's big, and it's dangerous, and every year, pretty much, the mountain rescue are called out to go and rescue somebody, and sadly, most cases, to recover bodies, that people that have fallen off striding edge. Now, for those of you who don't know, this is a pretty accurate representation. Striding edge, in parts, is this wide. Very, very narrow, very rocky. On either side, there's a, there's a drop of about four to 500 feet. It's really serious, you don't mess around on there. Now, there is an easy way up, a long way around, when we were kids, my dad and uncle decided they would take us, goodness knows what they were thinking, without the mum's upstriding edge, and we have the photographs to prove it. And I look back and think, what were they thinking? But we had a great time. We had a wonderful time. We, we didn't have any notion of fear and apprehension. It was just, oh, look, this big drop. And I look back on that and the photographs, and it was a great day. But it's a dangerous thing, and that is really the point about this little... Cardboard tube that we've turned into a mountain this morning is that in church there are two, in, two ways in which you're likely to offend each other, no, t- two church cultures. So, on one side, we have what I would call the dominant personalities, the big egos, those that are going to be heard. And, and we've all been in church meetings where, it doesn't matter what happens, that person is going to have their opinion above everybody else. Okay, they dominate. You tend to find that there's lots of rules, lots of committees, lots of procedures. And it's really easy to upset somebody. Now, you want to know if that's possible? Kevin and I were once leading the nine o'clock service, and they won't mind me saying this, and we got the prayers in the wrong order. And you would not believe how many people came up to us afterwards and said, that's a bit radical. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that to judge anybody, I'm really not. But you can see what I'm saying, that we get so used to traditions and the way that we sit. So somebody sits, you're sitting in my chair. I didn't realize that was your chair. You sit in the wrong chair when we're having coffee, you'll soon know, okay? It's easy to take offense. On the other side, we have church environments where pretty much anything goes. It seems like organized chaos. And in there, it's pretty much too easy to offend people as well. And I've, I've been in church environments and organizations of both. The hard place to walk as church leaders and a church family is on striding edge. In that little path of liberty where there is freedom... But my goodness me, that freedom is hard won, and you've got to fight to keep it, and you've got to pay attention. Because the soon as you take eye off those relationships, and the ones, and the twos, and the threes, it causes problems. You know, the early church wasn't frightened to practice discipline. You know, it's something that we avoid talking about a lot in church. Conflict is something that the company I work for, we talk about conflict every week. We're not looking to go pick and fights with us. But conflict is simply disagreement, two people having a different perspective. That's all it is. And we practice dealing with conflict every week at work so that we can nail the issues quickly and then move on. Because conflict unaddressed is actually really inefficient and unproductive. And it destroys relationships. And so Jesus in chapter 18, talking about that parable of the sheep, what he's saying is, I want my church family to walk on striding edge. But it's not easy. You've got to fight And in one person, two people have a disagreement and you're aware of it. Help them. Get alongside them. And that brings us then from there to chapter 7. Now, uh, I've talked about this once before. Um, I'm not going to ask people to declare how old they are, but if anybody can remember the 70s, could you put your hand up? Okay. Anybody remember Tufty? Yes. Anybody? For those of you who are looking at me like, what is he on about? Okay. Anybody want to be brave enough and shout who Tufty was? He was a squirrel, yes. And for those of you who don't understand, yeah, Nathan's looking at me like, "What planet is he on?" Okay, Tufty was a squirrel, and he had a little jacket, and he was the um, the figurehead for a road safety campaign for children. The health and safety officer with a tail. That's right. He's health and safety with a tail. That's right. And if you joined the Tufty Club, you sent a little letter off. They sent you a badge, and I've got my Tufty badge at home. Now, bonus point. Anybody remember what the Tufty Club? There was a little, little motto that went with it. Anybody remember that? Stop, stop look and listen. And that whole point was that basically there was an advert of this child walking out in front of a car and they don't show you the child being knocked over because that would be a bit gross even in the 70s. But then they repeat it and the little child stops on the edge and looks and listens. And it was a really powerful, it was probably the, the first major road safety campaign that was, didn't pull any punches. And it was basically trying to save children's lives, and it, and it was really quite effective. And when we get to chapter seven, and we talk about you know, the, the, you know, the, the judgment that we bring, how we're so quick to judge other people, I think if I've learned anything over the years, I often think back to that little tufty badge that before I open my mouth, the best thing to do is to stop and to look, and to listen. Now, I'm sure there are, we can all think of individuals who have given us feedback over the years, yeah? How many of them have had the tact and diplomacy of Cromwell? Yeah, Some people are just tactless, if we're honest. Yeah? They can give it, but they can't receive it. Or however good their intentions are, they really don't spend the time thinking about the power of the words and the way they're going to present them. You know, I, I work with individuals all around the world, and different cultures um, are very different. So my French colleagues, if they've got something to say, they will just tell you. You know, they don't, they don't hold around. My Russian colleagues, if they've got something to tell you, it's usually an email that says no. Or yes. Or maybe. They don't mince their words. Other people, you know, take more considered approach. They think about the words. Lawyers, particularly. Words are important. And so the lawyers I work with, if I ask them a question, I don't expect to get an answer straight away because they consider the words that they will use. But maybe, just maybe, even the person that is tactless, the person that... Could have been a little, you know, a little bit more considerate. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, there is a grain of truth in what they're saying. And sometimes we we don't see that, and we uh, we overlook what they're saying, and we confuse the personality and the delivery with actually the truth. Uh, and that happened to me quite a few years ago. I, was, I took on responsibility for the Middle East, uh, for my company. And I thought I did a good job. I did some research before I went out there. I thought I was keyed up on the cultural differences between the Middle East and uh, and the UK. And it turned out I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. And one day, one of the, the local directors, a very gracious man, just asked if he could pull me to one side. And he said, I just need to make you aware of something. Actually, that's going down really badly in this culture. Now, I was mortified. My pride was hurt and my ego felt a little bit bruised and for 24 hours, while I was out there, I was licking my wounds. I really wasn't in a good place. And then I went in the next morning and I thanked him because I realized he'd taken a lot of courage for that man to try and catch that issue really quickly. And instead of just calling me out and he could have done it publicly, he took me aside and he did it gently and carefully to build that relationship. And you know, I'm still in touch with him now, sort of 15 years later, and uh, our paths have sort of moved within the company. But I never forgot what he did, and I've always tried to mirror that. And so that brings us to the factor 50. Um, Not much good if you leave it in the bottle, is it? Now, in my family, there's a standing joke that my kids and wife go lovely shades of honey brown and golden brown. I go red. (laughs) So when we go on holiday, it's like, oh, Dad, you need to start 10 minutes before everybody else because you're a bit hairy, and it sort of takes a bit longer to wipe in. But the most important word on the back of the, of the bottle is actually the first word, application. It tells you what to do, how to apply it. We get that with medicines, don't we, when you go, the doctor gives you a prescription. It tells you how to take the medicine, what to do with it. And so this morning, it's, it's all a bit pointless if there's no application. And so that's what we're going to talk about for two minutes and then I'm going to finish. So if you're finding yourself in a position where you have to speak truth to somebody, don't be Oliver Cromwell. Don't go in with all guns blazing and charging. I'd encourage you to speak the truth from a place where there's good intention in your heart towards that individual. Take the time to be like Tufty to stop, pause and think about what you're going to say. Are you going to build that person up or are you going to crush them? And if you've been on the receiving end of that and you've confused the personality with the grain of truth that's there, it might be a good time this morning just to give that back to God and say, you know God, I've been hurt in church. I look back, that individual had the tact of Cromwell, I've still got the hoof, and I want to give it back to you. Because you know what? There is an element of truth in what they said, and I need to accept that. This morning, we need to pray for our leaders. PCC, all those that sit behind the scenes that keep church running. Matt and his family. You know, keeping a church family walking on striding edge, together in unity. That's not easy. Looking after every sheep. Making sure that we don't lose the one, the two, or the three. That is not easy to do. And finally, I just want to close with uh, something that... And I've said this before, and I think it's worth saying again, that a few years ago, you will remember Bill Clinton um, famously denied having an affair with Monica Lewinsky. Um, it was an interview where he com- comes out on television, and he's body language, and he says, I did not have an affair. He couldn't have been more blunt. And he was lying through his teeth. And eventually that came out. Uh, there was DNA and witness testimony and others, and it came out. And... He- It was hugely embarrassing for for him as president and for everybody involved. You know, for Hillary Clinton, his wife as well. You can only imagine, you know, marriage is is hard enough, but having your marriage fail in front of the entire country, the whole world, not an easy thing to get over. And Billy Graham, Dr. Billy Graham, was the spiritual, if you like, advisor or counselor to the president, and he had been for, for several presidents. And he was scheduled to go in and meet with him, and he got a lot of stick in the press and the media, particularly the Christian media. Believe it or not, he got a lot of abuse. You know, why are you going to spend time with him? He's a liar. He's a cheat. He doesn't deserve to be in office. And his response, he sort of put his Bible down and he thought for a minute. And then he very carefully, he just chose his words and he said, my job is to love. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict. And one day, God's job will be to judge. I'm just gonna go in there and pray with that man and love him just as Jesus would want me to. What a perfect answer. Didn't condemn him. You know, we all stand flawed, goodness me. The flaws in my life, if, if we started with the letter A and put them on there and then started listing all the things I've ever done wrong, I'd probably, out, you know by the time we get to A, I'd be out the door. You know, we're all complicated people with flaws and contradictions, we do incredible good. And then moments later we let ourselves down and we're sort of embarrassed by our behavior. And so we have an opportunity to be different in church. How we argue and fall out with each other, how we have different opinions, has to be different in here than anywhere else in the world. Because otherwise when people come in, what are they going to feel? What are they going to see? A social club? Is it just going to be, well, it's the same as what I have outside. There has to be something else, and that something is actually doing it the way Jesus said. So with that, we're just going to pray. And we're going to give it to God. And we're just going to seek to be a little bit more like uh, Billy Graham and Desmond Tutu. And a bit less like Oliver Cromwell this morning. So Father, we thank you this morning that you, through Jesus, you gave us the example. You taught us how the church should behave. You know, we're a complicated organism, a family. And like every family, we have moments where we come together in joy. And we have times when we don't see eye to eye and we fall out. And that's normal and it's natural. You knew that was going to happen, and so you you gave a model for dealing with that. And we've got to confess, we don't always get it right. Help us to do it your way so that the one, the two, the three, we don't lose anybody because you didn't want to lose them, and it should really matter to us. So help us to do it your way to get it right. Help us to pray for Matt under his leadership and the PCC and all those that govern and provide, and help us to walk that narrow path. Help us to be careful for each other taking time just to help those who are struggling. You know, the world puts the boot in and kicks them when they're down. Help us to lift and inspire and embrace when we're struggling. Because we all matter to each other. We do. And help us, Father, to love. Holy Spirit, for those in our lives, would you speak words, bring them to you, so that one day when you judge, Father, we find that those that you've given to us were actually standing alongside and as part of your family. So thank you for this morning and for our church family that's not here that's in new wine and elsewhere we just pray your blessing upon them as well amen